Good morning. Thanks for joining us for this time of worship. I'm excited about the teaching series that we are journeying through uh, concerning the fact of our lives that are challenged with discouragement, and yet we have this calling to, to move beyond discouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, both in verse 1 and in verse 16, we are told not to lose heart, not to give up or to be discouraged. The idea of losing heart comes from an old word in the Greek language uh, to indicate being weary and that weariness affecting us outwardly or our outward actions and attitudes being affected by a weary heart. Now, I know there are times when you and I both feel weary because of circumstances that we face, but regardless of the circumstance, the scripture encourages us to move forward, to move beyond discouragement. And certainly being discouraged is not a sin, but when we stay in a spirit of discouragement and deny the journey of faith, then certainly that becomes a sin because we are called to move forward by faith. And anything that is not of faith is certainly not of God. So we we certainly are excited about the opportunities God gives us to move beyond discouragement. But oh, how helpful it becomes to have these tangible pieces of our of our truths that, that become application for, for how to move forward. So I'm glad that we have been in this journey together. We're in part four. And part four of uh, moving beyond the faint heart or beyond discouragement uh, gives us an emphasis on spiritual understanding. Listen as we read together 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now we've discovered several ways that we can move beyond discouragement, but now we address this unique word, this powerful word, that seems incredibly simple, yet it becomes so deep and so necessary for our journey through discouragement. And that word would be the term knowledge. The idea of knowledge in the scripture represents more than just an awareness of or a cerebral engagement with. The idea of knowledge represents knowing to the point of application, knowing and understanding to the point of applying God's truths to our lives truly experiencing the truth of God, not just mentally, but in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives, becomes a full definition of this biblical idea of knowledge. Now, we've understood before that when we look at the glory of Christ, it becomes uh, really difficult to stay discouraged, does it not? In fact, I believe you really can't look at the face of Christ and his glory and filled discouragement at the same time because all oh, the the wonder of uh, of our lord and our savior jesus and what he's done for us certainly elevates our perspective from from the elements of this world that can be so debilitating and discouraging and our attention is placed on jesus but there's something more than just an awareness of the glory that we need to engage with this scripture reminds us of the knowledge of the glory 
of Christ. So when we have a personal knowledge, a personal experience with Jesus Christ, that becomes the the ultimate way to say, hey, I am moving beyond discouragement because my focus is not just on an awareness of Jesus from a distance, not just on the the glory of Jesus that I might read about in a book or hear in a song or maybe even uh, attempt to apply from a sermon or a message. But no, I know Christ personally and my focus is on who he truly is as the son of God, as God incarnate, as the king of the universe and who he is in my life personally. Well, that becomes the element of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. So uh, what we're addressing is knowledge uh, over against awareness. And let's not simply be aware of the glory of Christ, but let's truly know the glory of Christ and allow that personal knowledge with Jesus to move us past those those places and, and experiences in our lives that can bring discouragement. Uh, an MIT professor, Rosalind Pickard, uh, was convinced that she did not need God nor religion. And she dismissed believers as uneducated and saw herself as an atheist. But as an educated person, she decided that at least she could read the Bible so that she would be able to better argue against the claims of the Bible. So she read the Bible through twice, and this is what she concluded, and I love this testimony. She concluded, after reading God's word all the way through twice, I felt a strange sense of being spoken to, and I felt this eagerness to keep on going in the truths of God's word. Later, uh, one of her students invited her to church, and through that experience, she received by faith God's message of salvation, and she placed her trust in Jesus. For her, an awareness of the Bible became a personal experience that gave her a personal knowledge of God and of Jesus. And she placed her faith in Jesus Christ and found that redemption and salvation that God has promised for those who trust him. And I love this story from a mind that is certainly framed in academia and in scholarship. And yet a simple cerebral reading of God's word did not work because she truly engaged the God of the scriptures. And she felt as if she was being personally spoken to as a reader. And she was. And she responded, as many of you have, to God speaking to her heart. And she found that redemption and that new life in Jesus. That becomes a wonderful reference point to you and I truly knowing of Christ, not just being aware of the Bible and of church and of, of the events that surround the life of Jesus in the scripture, but truly knowing Jesus and knowing personally his glory through a relationship with him. So I'd like to encourage you to move closer to that experience of knowing Christ and growing to know him more. We, we can term this as spiritual understanding, truly seeing Christ for who he is in a personal relationship. And oh, if we can find ourselves there, oh, discouragement will have no hold on our hearts and on our minds. So, so let's move to this 
deeper spiritual understanding or this deeper knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ uh, with, with two very simple responses to this truth. The first response is a proper perspective of self. For this, we turn back to verse 5 to answer the question why Paul said what he said. Uh, listen again to, to verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake or for the sake of Jesus. Our first response to, to the truth of God's word found in 2 Corinthians 4 would be a proper perspective of self. Paul said we are not preaching ourselves. Paul comments, I am not proclaiming the word of God for any personal benefit. We have discovered that many were accusing Paul of involving himself in the ministry of the church simply for personal benefit. Paul said, that's not so. We are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. And we are making ourselves servants to you for the sake of Jesus. Now we're answering the question, why Paul said this in verse five, particularly, why did Paul feel compelled to say, we're not preaching ourselves, we're preaching Jesus. Well, that, you would think that would be obvious for any church leader, missionary pastor, or, or church planner, or or. Bible professor or small group teacher, you would think, well, of course, they're not preaching themselves. They're preaching about the Bible, about Jesus, about God's love for us. Well, Paul had to remind the Corinthian church of this very simple truth, because again, many were, were coming against him and accusing him of personal gain. And so let's answer the question why Paul said what he said. And certainly the first answer would be a defense. Paul simply was compelled to make a defense against the accusations that were against his ministry. Again, if you were to reference back to chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians and verse 17, you will note that Paul actually said, I am not peddling the word of God for profit. Many accused him of doing so. And Paul said, that is not the truth. We are not preaching ourselves. And Paul would go on to say, we are preaching Jesus and we are becoming servants to you for the sake of Jesus. So Paul defended himself, and his defense was a strong, indignant refutation of these accusations. He, he was indignant against the accusations, but in, in, in a deep sense of love for his Corinthian audience, uh, God gave these words to him that pour from his heart, we, we are not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Jesus and ourselves, servants for your sake. So again, we're trying to find our way to a deeper understanding spiritually so that we can move past discouragement and we need to take a proper perspective of self so we follow Paul's cue here again this would be like the human context of the truth that we've looked at before and I believe Paul would certainly tell us hey if you are desiring to move deeper into a true understanding of your place with Jesus Christ then you need to be aware of the proper posture that, that you must take and certainly Paul defended against any accusation of pride or, or egoism or any element of self that would cause his own identity to, to be inflated. Paul said, that's not what we're doing. So uh, Paul said what he said to make a defense. But secondly, Paul said what he said because he emphasized a spiritual understanding that leads to surrender. 
Paul wrote, I am not preaching myself. We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ. And notice Paul said, we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. So the emphasis from verse 5 reflects the title Lord. When you read from that verse, we do not proclaim ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, the term Lord has significant emphasis. It's, it's written very emphatically to indicate Jesus Christ as our sovereign Lord. The term Lord, kurion, is a powerful term that, that actually indicates uh, one who is exalted, one who has jurisdiction, one who is is sovereign and ruling over all. And Paul writes, we, we are preaching Christ as Lord. You can see in Paul's life how his proclamation of the truth of God became the very truth that that brought surrender to his life. Oh, his his life was a testimony of surrender. So ours should be. If we truly want to move to a deeper spiritual understanding of our walk with Jesus so that we can successfully move past discouragement. Oh, how we need to focus on the Lordship of Christ that brings an even deeper surrender to our lives. When you look inside of what I like to call from the book of Acts in the New Testament, the conversion narratives of Paul, from Acts chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 26, you can read again and again Paul's description, or actually the author Luke's description of Paul's conversion. And with each of those descriptions, the, the initial story of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 depicted a, a light that was as bright as the afternoon sun, which would be the reality of the radiance of Jesus that was manifested to Paul, which was brought a temporary blindness, which, which paused him in his aggression against the church and redeemed him. His awareness of Jesus became a personal experience with Jesus and he was changed and, and he began to surrender to, to who Christ is. And he grew in that surrender. Acts chapter 9 verse 22 reminds us that Paul grew in the power of his testimony. And so Paul understood the lordship of Christ. And this brought a greater perspective of his own life. Surrendering to Jesus. And this became a strong pronouncement of Paul's life. He resolved to say Jesus is Lord of his life and Lord of all. And he never backed from that resolve. He grew in that resolve. We need a proper perspective of self. By dying to self and surrendering every part of our lives to Jesus, we'll never move more deeply into our spiritual understanding of our walk with Christ and our relationship with Christ if we're not growing in our surrender to Christ. And let me say that again. We'll never move deeper in our spiritual understanding of Jesus and our relationship with him and until we are totally surrendered more deeply to Jesus. And so Paul reminds us of this when he said, we preach Jesus Christ, Lord. And so that became a focus of Paul's preaching, Paul's life, and Paul's testimony. But there's a third answer we can find uh, to the inquiry, uh, why did Paul say what he said about not preaching self, but preaching Jesus Christ as Lord? A third answer would be the motive of selflessness. Now, I love this expression 
we do not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. For Christ's sake was Paul's emphasis and his priority. Uh, the, the best way to, to surrender to the glory of the Lordship of Jesus, which was Paul's indication when he said Jesus Christ as Lord. He saw the glory of the Lord in his relationship and he saw the glory of Jesus. And he allowed that surrender to Jesus to advance his concern and his love and his service to others. It is very impossible to surrender to the Lord and not grow in your spirit of otherness. It's difficult to see the glory of Christ and not love others well. And so again, another proper perspective of ourselves is as we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we are motivated to love others and to serve others well. And so Paul emphasized a proper perspective of self so that he might better find himself growing in a deeper knowledge of the glory of Christ. And so how would Paul stand against so many fierce attacks verbally and physically against him? How could Paul seemingly go unscathed with discouragement against so many aggressions that came against him? Well, the answer is he grew in his spiritual understanding. He prioritized his understanding of who Christ is in his own life but to do that, he had to have a proper perspective of self. It's not me, it's about Jesus. And again, the reason many of us are challenged in growing in our deeper understanding of Jesus is perhaps we've not resolved this. Self can get in the way. Self can, can uh, barter with our attention and cause us to reflect more on what is happening in our lives personally, emotionally, physically, and otherwise, maybe even relationally, to the point that maybe Christ and our allegiance to him is pushed to the side. So Paul would say, hey, do you want to grow in your understanding of your walk with Christ? Well, first, have a proper perspective of self. And so Paul said, we do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord for these reasons we've looked at. One being the motive of selflessness, totally dying to self, serving others. I love that Paul defended his apostleship from all the critics who said he was he was a uh, egotistic in his preaching and only sought benefit for himself. Paul argued that in part by saying back to his critics, those uh, Corinthian opponents, hey, I consider myself your servant. I, I am serving you, but not for an inflation of my own identity or, or for even uh, just for you to be impressed with me. I am serving you for the sake of Christ. The love of Christ compels me. So even our service and our love to one another should be an indication that we have a proper perspective of self out of the way so that we can certainly grow in our understanding more deeply of who Jesus is to us. So our first act today in response to the text before us, in response to God's word, was to make sure we have a proper perspective of self. But our second step, our second act in response to the truth is to prioritize spiritual understanding, to prioritize what it truly means to grow in the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Uh, Paul was one who identified and, and understood the, 
the glory of our Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we're reminded, as Paul wrote, there's one Lord. And anytime Paul used a singular to identify the oneness of the Lord, he was identifying the exaltedness of our Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So Paul saw the emphasis of the glory of Christ as his exaltedness as one Lord, but he also saw the emphasis of the Lordship of Christ his exaltedness, his glory, as very confessional. If you confess with your mouth, he is Lord. But that confessional statement would be from the heart, one who truly recognizes the glory of Christ. And so Paul prioritized his understanding of who Christ is by always focusing on the exaltedness of the Lord and, and the glory of the Lord. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul encouraged us to be in fellowship with the Son who is Jesus, our Lord. And so Paul saw the glory of Christ in his lordship to be a significant focus on how we stay the course in our Christian commitment. So Paul grew in his understanding of Jesus by focusing on his lordship. But Paul also focused on his glory. And then Paul focused on the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ because we, we read in verse 5, that Paul did not preach himself, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And then in verse 6, Paul said, For God has spoken, light shines out of darkness, and God himself has shown in our hearts to give us the light, the illumination, the understanding of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. And so Paul understood the lordship of Christ. He understood the glory of Christ being the full radiance of God. And Paul understood the call to have a knowledge of the glory of Christ. And this is where we prioritize our spiritual understanding. In the scripture, knowing, this idea of knowledge, represents, again, personally knowing God. This transcends uh, any, any academic or scholarly consideration and notes a personal engagement experience and surrender to the fullness of God in Christ Truly knowing Jesus personally in the depth of our spirit defines, again, this understanding of, of knowledge, this spiritual understanding that the scripture speaks of. As we prioritize that knowledge of the glory of God in Christ, as we prioritize our spiritual understanding, there are some lessons we learn along the way. And I want to wrap up our teaching with some of these lessons. The first is this, avoid apathy. I find this to be a significant challenge that the scripture certainly identifies for our lives. If we are to grow in, in our spiritual understanding of our walk with Jesus and to truly have the knowledge of his glory that moves us past a discouragement, we need to avoid apathy. The, the cold orthodoxy of one's practice of faith becomes a definition of spiritual apathy. I love how in John chapter 14, verse 21, the gospel writer reminds us of Jesus' words when Jesus said, hey, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commandments. Again and again in the gospels, Jesus equated a love for him with that follow-up through obedience to him. And so we know that our, our walk with Christ, our, our lives as Christians should not 
represent a cold orthodoxy or a, a rigid religious function, we need to avoid those types of expressions of, of apathy. And I find something interesting in, in another New Testament passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Now, we'll not turn there, but I just give you the reference. Uh, Paul, the same writer, commended the church at Ephesus for their, for their intense love that came out of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some 30 years later, that was perhaps written sometime in the early 60s AD, some 30 years later, as recorded in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the very words of Jesus through the pen of John um, came, came strongly against some uh, activity in that same church, the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians, man, your love is great. Some 30 years later, as recorded in Revelation chapter 2, the statement made to the same church was this. You have left your first love. And so we see evidence in the historicity of, of the early churches that our love can grow cold. And we can become indifferent to the things of Christ. And so I encourage you this morning to test your own life. Test your own walk of faith with, with this statement of apathy. Do you see that at times there's indifference in your life to the things of Christ? We will never have the full knowledge of the glory of God in Christ if our hearts are becoming rigid and cold to the things of Christ. Oh, may we never grow cold. And, and one of the greatest um, one of the greatest interruptions to our walk of faith would be a practice of religion for religion's sake. Now, that becomes a very dangerous step and a very dangerous place to be. So may we, may we hear the words once spoken to the church at Ephesus from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4. Hey, uh, you, you have lost your, your first love. Uh, return to that love. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent, return to that love. May we be aware that any of us can be susceptible to apathy by uh, becoming bored in our walk with Jesus because we've been too distracted by the world around us. So that's one lesson uh, we need to engage as we prioritize our spiritual understanding, our knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. May we be very careful to avoid apathy. Well, there's a second lesson we learn along the way to prioritizing our spiritual understanding, our knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. The lesson is concerning the mind of Christ. We should avoid apathy, but we should also have the mind of Christ. Now, the prophet Isaiah said once, in Isaiah chapter 40, I believe verse 13, uh, that who, who, who could counsel God? Who could have the mind of our Lord? Well, that becomes a very powerful question. And, and I want to move to another part of the Bible very quickly. You can stay in 2 Corinthians 4, but I want to move to 1 Corinthians for just a brief moment to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, where we are told we can have the mind of Christ. This becomes a phenomenal reality for those who truly desire to prioritize their spiritual understanding, their knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We simply can't be aware of the glory of Jesus. We must know personally. We must spiritually have that closeness, that understanding 
of who Jesus Christ is. Now, we'll never plummet the depths of Christology, and that would be a statement in all tenets of theology. We'll never plummet the depths of, of truly knowing Christ and the scripture, but we can have the mind of Christ. We just read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul wrote, uh, who has known the Lord's mind that he would instruct or counsel the Lord? Again, quoting the prophet Isaiah. And then Paul answered that, that bit of uh, rhetorical inquiry, but we do have the mind of Christ. Now, time would not allow us to unpack the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, but still we can just take a brief snapshot of this truth to understand that we do have the mind of Christ. From 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we can know that the mind of Christ stands in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man. I can read that right here in verses 5 and 6 from 1 Corinthians 2. The mind of Christ is always in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man. I can't depend upon my own understanding and think that I'm growing in spiritual understanding. I need to realize that the mind of Christ will, will counter my own self-made wisdom. There, there's another fact here concerning the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ does indeed involve the wisdom of God. I'm reading that here in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 2. What we're depending upon is the wisdom of God. Now we're told to have the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the glory of Christ that comes from God. And knowledge also represents the wisdom that, that is of God that helps us to discern. And so the mind of Christ always involves the wisdom of God. Also, the mind of Christ is given to us through the Holy Spirit. I'm reading that right here from the scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 10 through 12. The mind of Christ comes through the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? These are just some statements that help us to realize the mind of Christ is not just some fanciful thought or some optimism that's laid before us. This can become a reality. We need to avoid the apathy that can beset us as followers of Jesus and cause our love for Jesus to become cold. And the way that we avoid that is to always have the mind of Christ and to pursue the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ means we understand God's plan in the world to bring glory to himself and to restore creation to its original splendor and to provide salvation for all who will place their trust in Jesus. To have the mind of Christ means that we identify with Jesus and his purposes to seek and to save what is lost. To have the mind of Christ means that we share Jesus's perspective of humility and obedience and compassion and dependence upon the Lord. To have the mind of Christ means that our desire is to see Christ proclaimed to the world. So over and over again, we see throughout the scriptures how we can certainly have the mind of Christ. Do you want to move past discouragement? I know you do. Don't just be aware of the glory of Christ. No, have a knowledge of the glory of Christ. And you can do that as you seek to have the mind of Christ. Um, one final lesson we learn as we grow in our spiritual understanding, as we prioritize this knowledge of the glory of God that is in the face of Christ. We certainly avoid apathy. We have the mind of Christ. But we recognize that only God can bring this change. <laughs> only God can lead us to avoid an apathetic life as a Christian and truly have the mind of Christ. Only God can bring that change. And we, we engage with this third lesson as we grow in prioritizing 
our spiritual understanding as we grow in the knowledge of the glory of God. Yes, we can see references to the glory of God in Christ in our songs and and in our readings, maybe even in listening as other people preach and teach, even as you are now. But we must do more than simply have an awareness of the glory of Christ. We must have a knowledge of the glory of Christ. And as we grow in that knowledge or that spiritual understanding, we, we need to avoid apathy, have the mind of Christ, and realize that only God can bring a change from, from the first to the second. Only God can bring an awareness of this knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. I, I love that this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, demonstrates two very powerful cases of how God can bring the change between an apathetic mind of Christian faith and having the mind of Christ. The first case points us all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Paul referenced in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the God who said that is the God who has shown in our own hearts to bring us the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. And so the first case is that God created light from the very beginning. The second case is God, that same God, the same power, the same creative sovereignty brings the knowledge of a different light, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so God alone can bring that change and we must trust him and we must stay close to his word. We must stay close to an understanding of how to apply his word and to grow in our understanding of God's grace through Jesus so that we're we're moving forward in our Christian faith. We're not just moving forward in our religious activity, committing ourselves more and more and thinner and thinner, but that we're we're growing in our understanding of of, of Jesus and how God has made himself fully known in Christ. And when we see his glory and have a, a knowledge of that glory that only God can bring as we seek to honor God every day in our lives. And oh, we will most definitely move past discouragement. Paul said, we're not faint of heart. We do not give up. Why? Because we have the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. We have a spiritual understanding that leads us away from apathy and leads us to the mind of Christ. And only God can bring that change. I love the message in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when we're simply told that we are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In that verse, the word renewal actually indicates a renewal that can only be achieved by God. And the word actually indicates that the achievement is a process that has been completed. So when we read, be renewed in your mind, we're reading that that becomes a process that can only be possible by God's power. And through God's power made known in Jesus, that process becomes a completed process for those who are truly trusting in the Lord, trusting in Jesus Christ. So God desires to continually transform our minds from being concerned with self or being concerned with how the world can bring bring pleasure to the flesh. And then when our mind truly desires to focus on the glory of Christ, God himself brings a knowledge of that glory so that we are truly experiencing personally and applying the fullness 
of Jesus to our lives. We're doing more than just saying, Jesus, I'm believing about you and I'll try to do better. We're truly living in a growing and a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what an amazing truth we have, the glory of God in Christ. I love um, a conversation that I discovered once between Johnny Erickson Tata and Corey Ten Boom. Their lives overlap just a bit. And Corey Ten Boom, this is survivor of Nazi Germany, and Johnny Erickson, a strong, powerful voice of the gospel, uh, someone who was injured early in life and, and is a quadriplegic. And, and she was having a conversation with Corey Ten Boom, who was in a wheelchair at, at one point because of a stroke she had. And this is what uh, Johnny Erickson uh, recognized. <laughs> For paralyzed people, we can still walk with the Lord. Even if one is speechless and can't talk about the Almighty, he or she can talk with the Almighty. With the Almighty. Uh, people can see Jesus who have no sight. People can hear the Word of God who are, are physically deaf. And then she said, those people like Corey Ten Boone, after a stroke, who's minds may have shadowy obscurity, they can still have the mind of Christ. Isn't that a great summary of who we are physically and who we can become as we continue to allow God to lead us to a fuller understanding of the glory of Jesus. I wanna thank you for, uh, for joining this time of teaching and, and joining us in this uh, fourth part as we continue to discover how to move beyond the faint heart how to move beyond uh, any discouragement that can beset us. Remember, we move beyond our discouragement as we grow in our spiritual understanding, as we grow in understanding more about Jesus and His glory and who Jesus is to us personally as we walk daily by Him and with Him through our faith. Thank you so much for being a part of this day of worship being a part of this teaching. I'd love to pray with you. And after I pray, you'll see a, a website location that uh, leads you to learn more. And we hope that you'll visit there to learn more about our church ministry, but more importantly, to learn more about what it means to know Jesus and to walk with Him. I'd love to pray with you. Father, thank you for leading us through this time of teaching. And God, I pray that uh, we'll grow more in our understanding of who you are through Jesus as we trust you personally. Father, for anyone who doesn't know you personally and they only can see Jesus from a distance, I pray, God, that you will draw their hearts to you now so that they can, can understand that true salvation from our sin and from the brokenness and darkness of this world can only come from you. God, thank you that you enlighten our hearts, you illumine our hearts so that we can see personally, not just in our awareness, but personally the glory of your son, Jesus. May our eyes stay upon him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, here's that website location to know more. We look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to seeing you soon. Join us next week as we go to part five of our series, Beyond the Faint Heart. Let's not be discouraged. Let's move beyond discouragement and live in the joy of Jesus Christ. I hope you can say that you're doing that. If not, stay tuned as we continue to be encouraged beyond our discouragements. Love you a lot. Take care. See you soon.